Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks, the podcast of Leif Hetland and Global Mission Awareness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kingdom Family Talk. And I have this great joy of having my dear friend, Steve Strang. He's the founder of Charisma Magazine and is an award-winning journalist. He's also an entrepreneur, businessman, and an author. He's also the founder and CEO of Charisma Media, which in addition to Charisma, also publishes Ministry of Today, the Spanish magazine Vida Cristiana and Christian Retelling. He's also earned a reputation as a world-leading charismatic publisher. And Steve is a world changer, culture shaper, and also a dear personal friend. And Steve, it is so, so good to have you here and also just to be able to... uh, uh, to connect you with some of our family. Well, I appreciate that. And we have been friends a long time. I, I'd be hard-pressed to remember when I met you, but it's been at least 10 years. Yeah, and, and uh, California. Right. And I have so much respect for you and, you know, the way that you minister all over the world and, and the message you have about God's love, I just think is is magnificent. And I'm a big believer in podcasts. I I do podcasts myself, and I hope to play this one on my Strang Report podcast and uh, maybe get you a few more listens, too. And uh, so I'm ready when you are. I appreciate it. Would you mind just to share with our people a little bit who you are, your family, and also some of the things that you do? Well, I was trained as a journalist at the University of Florida. I started my career at the Orlando Sentinel. Of course, that was a very different era, but the media was very liberal back then, and and it was really kind of the early stages of a lot of the stuff we see today. Uh, when I was 24 years old, I was you know on fire for God. I it was the height of the charismatic movement. The Jesus movement was still going, although it was kind of tailing off. And I just wanted to serve God. I wasn't led to be a pastor or. Uh, in other kinds of Christian work. And so I had an idea to start a little Christian magazine that we called Charisma. And by God's grace, it grew. Uh, You know, it took us a few years to kind of get off the ground. And uh, in the 80s and 90s, we had huge growth and it allowed us to start these other magazines that you mentioned, as well as publish books. And our biggest author is uh, Jonathan Kahn with The Harbinger as well as mystery, the Shemitah, the Paradigm, the Oracle, and uh, Roll the Drums. Uh, he's coming out with a new one in the fall. And I read it over the weekend, and it is a magnificent book. And I won't tell you anything more. Um, uh, apparently, I'm the second person to read it other than himself. And I'll just tell you it's good. So, uh you know, we do a lot of things. We also publish the modern English version of the Bible. Uh, you know, I, I try to do what I can to change things. I'm very concerned about the direction of our country. Uh, it caused me to uh, support Mike Huckabee back in 2008. Of course, he came in second, which in politics doesn't count. Um, but when uh, 2000, I was very, very unhappy with what happened during the Obama administration, you know, the Supreme Court ruling on uh, same-sex marriage and, you know, a lot of other things. And I was, I just freaked out that Hillary Clinton might get elected, which it looked like she was going to do, and ended up uh, supporting Ted Cruz first, as a lot of Christian leaders did, and then later uh, realized that this person from New York that was brusque and had a past and uh, that I didn't even particularly respect because, you know, he was just some kind of celebrity businessman that I paid no attention to, that God had somehow raised him up. So during the campaign, I interviewed him. We did a cover story in Charisma. Uh, so there were some prophecies that I'm sure you know of where, you know, different uh, people from uh, uh, Kim Clement to Chuck Pierce to you know, even a fireman that lived down here in Florida named Mark Taylor, whose prophecy went far and wide. They even ended up making a movie about it. Lance Wall now, some of those people, 
I started doing podcasts. It was right around the time we started doing podcasts. And um, I did everything I could to get him elected. And then after the election, as the, as the books started coming out, I read a couple of them, mainly just because I was interested. But they weren't telling the Christian story. They weren't telling the spiritual side. So I wrote God and Donald Trump. It was the first major book I'd ever written, even though I've published over 2,000 books, believe it or not. And, um, you know, it was kind of an unexpected success. Uh, it opened doors for me to be on uh, Fox and CNN and MSNBC. You know, they're not, you know, they're not very, uh, how should, friendly to Christians. But, you know, I have to say that they, uh, they treated me with respect and, uh I was on all these networks the same week that Stormy Daniels was in the news. Do you remember this? You know, it oh, yeah. was during a period where the the leftist media, you know, it's sad that so much of the media can kind of be lumped like that, but you know, that's how I see it. You know, they, something would happen and you know, we don't have time to recount all of them, but Trump would do something they thought was outlandish and they would say, well, he survived everything else, but this will get him. And that's what their attitude was about Stormy Daniels. And they wanted an evangelical leader to come on and say, you know what, we've supported Trump, but this is just a bridge too far. And, um, you know, the president says that he did nothing with the woman and the whole thing kind of went away. I think it was just kind of made up. I really do. But I went on there and the Lord actually gave me an opportunity to uh, witness uh, because they were saying, um, you know, how can conservative Christians who believe in, you know, stable marriage with one man, one woman for life, uh, who go to church, who pay their tithes, who, you know, try to teach the Bible to their kids. How can you support somebody that, you know, had some kind of affair with a porn star? And, you know, so as I recall, I said, we don't approve of that at all, but it happened a long time ago. And, and I believe he's changed and they, uh, Allison Camarado on CNN. Uh, I think it was going to be a five minute interview. It ended up being 10 or 11 minutes. And, and she said, well, how's he's changed? And so here I am on live TV saying, I think he's born again. And so, and then I quickly realized what I was saying. And, you know, I only know that secondhand. I mean, I know people who say that about him. I, he never told me that directly. And of course he's very quiet about his own faith. But I said, that's the whole essence of, Christ, of uh, Christianity, of forgiveness. I said, every Christian who's lived has done something really bad that they would not want on the front page of the newspaper, at least one thing. And, you know, they can believe that Donald Trump, uh, you know, he said he was sorry. He really did. Uh, I'm thinking more about the thing that came up right before the election, you know, where they had that tape and he apologized for it. You know, they thought that would take him out. And then I started talking about the policies and the fact that he has really been a champion of Christian values from support of Israel to support of, of uh, the supporting uh, the unborn, you know, against abortion. And, I, and uh, you know, how he got that missionary out of prison in Turkey. I mean, you, it's a long list. In fact, in my book, um, uh, I wrote a chapter called Promises Made, Promises Kept. I mean, this man really wants to keep his promises. He's not perfect. And, you know, there are some kind of, in my opinion, you know, I hate to lump people together, but, you know, they act like the Pharisees, you know, they're, they're so righteous and, and they just can't support somebody like Donald Trump. And so I say to them, I've said it in print, I've said it on podcasts, who are you going to support? I mean, however bad Donald Trump was, there's an awful lot to say about Hillary Clinton. And of course, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And I said, who are you going to support? Who is is righteous? Well, you know, well, nobody. And they either stay home or they support a third party candidate. And what happens if we get the, if the other side gets in? We're already seeing all this. Uh, how do you say it? Uh, uh, opposition to Christianity. I mean, this whole thing with COVID-19 has has caused us to see that some of these governors, especially in blue states, you know, they say liquor stores are essential and churches aren't. You know, you could go into a grocery store and be careful and maybe wear a mask and walk by somebody in the aisle, but you can't do that in church. You can't walk between the pews. 
you know, you might get the coat, you might get the virus or something. I mean, it's crazy. There have even been examples of arrests of people sitting in their car at a drive-in service. That happens to be what my church does. We, you know, we listen to it on the radio. Um, you know, there have a couple of these things that have actually been turned over by the, the courts because we have a constitutional right to worship. A grocery store does not have a constitutional right to be open. It's just that we need the food. But I mean, why is it safe to pass someone in a grocery store and you both go to the same church and you can't pass each other in the lobby of the church? I mean, it's insane. And it just, it, it shows how much some of these people want to oppress the gospel. It's not just in our country. I interviewed an American who was stuck in France because of COVID-19. I actually interviewed him on Easter day. And he said that in France, if you even went to a church, you got a fine, I think it was $150. The second time it was $1,500 or the equivalent, you know, in euros. And the third time you went to prison. And, you know, so, I mean, there is a worldwide, there is a um, opposition to the gospel there's discrimination of Christians. It's not too bad so far, but I'm afraid that if the other side gets in, uh, there's no telling what will happen. And uh, that's why I wrote the book, God, Trump in the 2020 election, looking ahead and saying, what's at stake for our country? And also, what is, is at stake for Christians? Because there aren't too many people speaking out, even ministries. A lot of ministries, you know, they have a purpose and it's not necessarily political. And so they just kind of stay out of it and kind of hope for the best. You know, Christians have been hoping for the best for the last 50 years while things have gotten worse and worse and worse. And then, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about, can you even address to some individuals that are listening here? How do we stand firm and at the same time, very love well, how does that look like? Well, Well, there's nothing, there is nothing, uh, against loving if you're standing firm. In fact, the other side is really hateful. They say the nastiest things. They really do. And of course, we don't want to do that. But also, they, they're bullies and they intimidate us to, to be quiet. You know, it's like some little kid going to walking to Sunday school or something and these bullies, you know, smoking cigarettes or whatever, you know, mean little kids do, you know, would rough them up and make fun of them as being a sissy and the little kid just kind of you know, runs away or cries or whatever. And a lot of Christians are kind of like that, except that it's grownups, not kids. And you stand firm by saying, this is who I am. This is what I believe. Um, You know, I love Jesus. I love you, but you're not going to take away my rights. You know, we're all American citizens and we have rights under the constitution. People have died. People, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people have died to defend the freedoms that we enjoy and they're going away. I mean, a socialist, a socialist, really a communist, Bernie Sanders got very close to the nomination. And now they're talking about maybe Biden will drop out and, you know, he's kind of next in line. I mean, who would have thought? And some of the other crazy stuff, I, you know, it was crazy in the sixties and seventies when I was coming of age. In fact, there, you know, there was, in the late 60s, it was terrible. There were several assassinations, as you remember. There were riots at the Democratic National Convention, um, and, uh, drug use and free sex and all that kind of stuff was, you know, becoming very, very popular. And then the Jesus movement happened. And then the charismatic uh, movement in the Catholic Church happened. And a lot of things shifted. Also, there were a lot of people praying and some things shifted. Now, our country has not become righteous, but something did shift during the Reagan years and on. And now it's almost a repeat of the 60s, only it's worse in my opinion. And I think that we have to stand strong. My writing a book is trying to draw attention to it. It allows me to be on media like this and on secular media as well. I'm doing everything I can to get out the word and you know, I talk about the spiritual aspects, you know, about the fact that this is a spiritual war. It's not against Republicans and Democrats. In fact, both parties are pretty bad, in my opinion. It's just that the Democrats, they don't even want to have God. Remember that happened at their convention. There was 
there was like booing and then a bunch of black pastors who are Democrats put so much pressure on them. They kind of stuck God's name in, but there was almost like booing when they voted for it. It was awful. The Republicans, on the other hand, at least they say they support our values. The problem is when they get in, they say one thing when they run, they, when they get in, they do something else. And Donald Trump is, uh, is different than that. When he says something, he tries to do it. And he has been the champion of, of Christians. He has been more open to Christian leaders. You know, I've had a little bit of access to him, but I'm not in the inner circle. And I, but I know a bunch of the people who are. And, uh, you know, there are people that, you know, the older ones even met some of them with the Ronald Reagan and the Bushes. I've had the opportunity to interview four presidents, starting with uh, George H.W. Bush and then his son, who I interviewed in the White House, George W. Bush. Uh, I was in a group setting with Obama and there were a bunch of heavy hitters in the room. I mean, there were maybe 40 or 50 people, but it was it was a question and answer period. And I asked a couple of questions. I was never invited back because I asked him to stand on abortion. I did it in a polite way. But, uh, you know, I said, why do you why do I say to the Christian community about your stand on abortion? Uh, you know, T.D. Jakes was there, Frank Graham. I sat next to Max Lucado, as I recall. You know, they were trying to reach out to the evangelical community. And uh, and then, of course, uh, Donald Trump, of course, has done the same thing. Romney did not reach out to the evangelical community at all. Neither did Hillary, not at all. And so in some ways, uh, we, you know, we support Republicans just because. I actually was a Democrat for many years. And uh, somehow that, that gives me some credibility with some people. I, I could not be a Democrat today. I just couldn't. Uh, you know, back then it was the Vietnam War and civil rights were the two big issues. These other issues weren't even on the scene. Um, when I was a Democrat, I, I say that as a disclaimer, cause I'm almost a, you know, ashamed to admit it, but I, I wrote these books because I'm concerned and I'm not the only one that's concerned. I mean, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn wrote the Harbinger and now he's writing this new one. And it's about how serious, how very serious it is. He takes a very, very different approach. Of course, I'm saying we need to go to the polls. We need to get Donald Trump in another four years or we're toast. However, the issues are still going to be with us in 2025 when he's out of office. I personally think he's going to win, but there is a chance he won't. And we cannot take it for granted. In fact, this COVID-19 kind of uh, throws everything up in the air, so to speak. All bets are off. And um, it might help him because I think he's been a strong leader. Uh, it might hurt him just because everything is so crazy now. And I mean, the Democrats are like trying to drag this out and keep the economy from booming back because a lot of people would have voted for him just because of the economy. I personally think he has the leadership skills uh, and he's smart enough to help the economy come back. I certainly don't trust Joe Biden to try to bring the economy back. And of course, the economy affects all of us. But more than the economy is our Christian is our right to be Christians and to proclaim the gospel and to do what Jesus told us to do. The stakes are very, very high and Christians need to wake up. And I hope that both God, Trump and the 2020 election, which is the main book, which is still for sale and is still selling in places like Walmart and Sam's where we got a bunch of copies on the shelves, you know, before everything kind of shut down. The whole publishing supply chain has shut down. So this new one, which I wrote in, you know, in a very short period of time, um, uh, is mainly an ebook, And we, we're getting out very, very fast. Uh, actually, we're getting a few copies into Walmart. But, you know, things have just changed so much. But this new book is much shorter. It's a quick read. People can get it on Amazon. In fact, the day after we're recording this, it's on Amazon for the first time. I mean, th- this is so new. People can also get it on my website, which is uh, stevestrangbooks.com. Okay. And uh, we're just trying to make it available to, to light a fire under the church. That's awesome. I got to uh, last night. I downloaded it finally, and I was reading it last night and this morning before this interview. But I was thinking about taking it back to God and Donald Trump because I had the enjoyment of endorsing that. And it was for me, that was a paradigm shift because I struggle with even how to be able to support Donald Trump. But I felt that you did such an amazing job, factually speaking, to trace God 
throughout his life and to see that this is actually something God ordained that was taking place. So when I was finished reading that book, I think that I had a different perspective, had new lenses, how I was seeing what was taking place. So if you could just describe, because you had that book and just describe that book and then there's the Aftershook, then is God and Donald Trump 2020. And then now in the end, just the one I'm reading this morning, the COVID-19 and be able to build a bridge to Donald Trump. Uh, could you just kind of give a little summary to people so they can know some of the tools that is available for them to be able to make wise choices? Well, I never thought I'd write, you know, now what I'd have, I need to do the arithmetic, probably 350,000 words on Donald Trump. I really didn't, but God and Donald Trump, I felt like I was writing history mm. and part of it was his spiritual odyssey. I mean, he, lived most of his life as a secular, um, you know, playboy, let's say. But he was raised in the church. He was raised in the Presbyterian church. He went through confirmation. He got a Bible uh, when he was confirmed. It was, uh, he laid his hand on two Bibles when he was sworn in. One was the same Bible that Lincoln used, and the other was the one that his mother gave him when he was confirmed. And she was a very devout Presbyterian. The family went to church every Sunday. And then when he was a young adult, uh, they moved and they started going to uh, Marble Collegiate Church, which was Norman Vincent Peale, who actually had quite an influence on Donald Trump when he was in his 20s and uh, even wrote about him in one of his books as, as an example of a fine young businessman who had positive thinking. And if you think about it, Donald Trump's view of Christianity is a little bit like Norman Vincent Peale, you know, <laughs> believe in God, love people, just, you know, think everything's going to work out and and uh, I actually got to meet uh, Norman Vincent Peale and I read a number of his books. There were some people, you know, who thought he was like real liberal or something uh, because he didn't necessarily preach the gospel the way he did. I believe that he was a very strong Christian and he was just trying to, uh, you know, remind people that they don't, you know, a lot of Christians are like sad and downcast and negative thinking and the devil's always after him and and yes, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus has come to give us life and to give it more abundantly. So anyway, Donald Trump was affected. You know, one thing that's actually gone kind of viral on the Internet is this whole thing about the Hebrides revival. Now, you have to sort of be interested in history and the history of revivals. But there was a great revival in the Hebrides Islands, which is part of Scotland. And Donald Trump's mother was from the Hebrides. She moved over here in the early 30s, married his father in the mid-30s. The Hebrides Revival actually was uh, right after World War II, around 1948 to 1951. And, uh, you know, I grew up hearing about the Hebrides Revival. I mean, nonstop church services. It affected nearly every village in the Hebrides. It was a great move of God. And the story goes that there are two old women, sisters in their 80s, two feeble and blind to go to church and they just prayed at home and they just decided they were going to pray in a revival. I mean, the story goes that way. Their name was Smith. Hmm. Donald Trump's mother's maiden name was Smith. And the story goes that these two old women were his great aunts. Uh, I believe that there's a very good chance they were. We cannot prove it. I think somebody in the Trump family would have to say, yes, these two old women were our great aunts. Um, the story going around the internet now is that there was a Bible from that revival that was given to Donald Trump's mother who gave it to him, and he has it in the Oval Office. I even had uh, someone from Slate call me, and I said, you know, I really think that part is apocryphal. I think the Bible he has in the Oval Office is the one he got at confirmation. And uh, But that I've probably had 10 people send me uh, a link to that uh, is something that Christians kind of, it, it's a romantic idea, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but, but regardless, regardless, Donald Trump's family in Scotland was undoubtedly affected by that, even though his mother was already in the United States. She apparently was a good woman, a righteous woman, uh, you know, followed Jesus, the, you know, according to her understanding of the Presbyterian church and raised her kids in the church. And I think that that's a great heritage. Uh, who knows what prayers were prayed over little Donald when he was a kid? Uh, and I just thought it was very interesting and made it part of the book. After he was elected, you know, there was this, 
it was like his election was an earthquake. And then all these things happened. For one thing, the left just came absolutely unglued with riots in the streets. Remember that? Opposing him at every turn, all these investigations. And so I called it the aftershock. And uh, in some ways, that's the best written book. Um, And it's the longest book. It's a little bit more academic. Uh, It did not sell as well as God and Donald Trump. And uh, I thought, well, I'm I'm done with writing books on Trump. And then the election came up and the, the stakes are so high. We did the book nearly a year in advance, uh, hoping it would, like I've said before, light a fire under mainly Christians. And uh, I talk, it's in, divided into three sections. One is what's at stake and a lot is at stake. And I even have a chapter on why he might lose. And one of the reasons he might lose, there are several. One of them is how dishonest the other side is. They could steal the election or, you know, stuff the ballot box and all that kind of stuff. Another is that the economy tanked. And when I wrote it, the economy was high and getting higher. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not even sure I should put this in, but I did. And now we see with COVID-19 that the economy actually has, you know, in three weeks, all the gains we've made or the Trump had made in three years kind of disappeared in terms of the stock market and the employment figures and a lot of other things. So, I say that God, Trump, and the 2020 election is the most important book of the three. Mm. Uh, there's a whole section on understanding Donald Trump. Uh, you know, he's misunderstood. I mean, he, you even said it yourself that you kind of misunderstood him. And yeah. then um, then there's a section on the spiritual aspect. What is God saying? What are the prophets saying? And there's I document that even Kim Clement, who actually died, uh, he died in his early 60s of uh, which was very, very tragic, but he died the same month that Donald Trump was elected. And, uh, but he prophesied, and it's on YouTube. You could, in fact, it's like a couple million views on YouTube. You can type in Kim Clement and, and Trump. And uh, actually there were two of them that I document. Uh, and boy, it's, uh, it's almost eerie uh, to hear what he was saying and didn't even really realize what he was saying because Donald Trump was not on the scene at all back in that time frame. He did say that this person that God was going to raise up would be in two terms. And so I put all that kind of stuff in the book. And then COVID-19 happened. And I tell the reader that had COVID-19 happened when I was writing the book, which was last summer, I would have included a lot of the same stuff, but it's really part B. And when I'm talking on media, you're actually the second media I've talked to about this new book. Uh, I tell people, you know, they kind of go together. They do not contradict each other. They don't really repeat each other. The second one is is shorter. It's only 128 pages, whereas uh, I'd have to look how, how I have a copy here, but I'm not going to take time to look. Uh, you know, it's it's over 200 pages, uh, God Trump, the 2020 election. But I think it's, you know, hopefully it's interesting. Hopefully it'll grab people's attention. Hopefully it'll help people to see things with a different point of view. Because, you know, I'm a journalist, so I, I interview people and get their opinions. And, you know, it, it, I interviewed everybody from Jerry Falwell Jr. to Robert Jeffress to, you know, all these kind of people. Uh, the prophets like Chuck Pierce and uh, Frank yeah, Media and different ones. I just mention it because the book, as I saw last night, it starts with David Wilkerson had actually a prophecy in 1986. And reading that prophecy it kind of gave that wow moment, very similar to what you say with Kim Clement. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind just a couple of those prophetic words, Chuck Pierce is another one, about the COVID-19 virus and the connection to what you're writing in the last book. Well, they're both a little bit controversial. Uh, Kim Clement uh, is, of course, on video, and he was a musician, and he would all, often accompany himself you know, uh, and not exactly sing, but you know, it was a very intense almost mystical kind of thing. And non-charismatics, people that either don't go to church or, you know, go to a very a church where they're very quiet, sometimes they kind of freak out. But also, if you watch it, you can sense the power of God in the anointing. Hmm. Uh, with these, with Chuck Pierce, he said, he, he did a video, I guess it's on YouTube somewhere. He said in January that the Lord had shown him in September that there would be a plague and it would test us through Passover. Now there's all these internet trolls who say, well, there's no proof of it. So because I was putting it in the book, now Chuck Pierce is my friend and I, I, I have a lot of confidence in him. He told me and Joy 
over lunch when he was here at Lake Mary in early 2008, before Obama got the nomination, that Obama would win two terms. It almost made my wife depressed. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, we, and I wrote, I, I, I didn't write a lot about it, but I actually mentioned it in two of these three books because I went back and double checked how much detail I'd put in. And so, you know, to me, he has a lot of credibility. And, uh, but here's what happened. Sometimes, it's, you know, the thing with Obama, he told us that he did not feel he should say that publicly. He said it to us privately. So in the August, September timeframe, the Lord was showing him that there'd be a plague and Passover. And we said to him, look, we believe you, but we're doing our due diligence. All these people online are attacking you. And I listened to a couple of them. And they were crazy. I could shoot down their arguments if I were in a debate. But I said, you know, do you have anything? And they said, well, we have some notes. And they actually took a pay, a picture. I've got it. We're not going to release it because, you know, we got it confidentially. And it, and they've got notes of this meeting that they had with their staff. And the words were written in handwriting. Uh, a couple of words and others were underlined. And then what happened is in January, he felt that he should uh, release it. Now, there are some people that are saying he said the virus would be over in Passover. He said, no, it would test us through Passover. And that's exactly when the peak was when things started getting better. Now, I'd like to ask, when will the virus be over? You know, chances are the virus is going to be around, you know, basically forever, like all you know, other virus. The Spanish flu is still around. It's just not a pandemic anymore. But I believe that something shifted. Also, Sean Boltz said something very similar. And what he basically said is that millions would not die. And if you'll remember at the time, they were saying 2 million people would die in America. Now it looks like it'll be well under 100,000, which is terrible. But you know what? 50,000 people die in car wrecks every year. And depending on the flu season, sometimes 60 or 70 people die with the common flu every year. Now, you know, we live with those risks. With this coronavirus, and I go into this in the book, you know, it was new. We didn't know if it was going to be the bubonic plague, but yet God spoke and said, it's not going to be as bad as they say. And that's exactly what has happened. Now, there are people who attack the prophetic. They use every opportunity to attack the prophetic. They'll nitpick any little thing. You know, thankfully, these are men of God. They have integrity. You know, they're careful in what they say. They just don't, um, you know, say things unwisely. And I document that because I think it's important to understand exactly what's going is going on. And uh, you know, the book is just barely out. I, you know, I think I uh, said that I wrote it in 19 days, and from the day I got the idea until I turned it into the editor was 19 days. Of course, when you turn it into the editor, then the real work starts because you write and rewrite and add stuff to it and all that kind of thing. But from the time I got the idea and realized that we needed to do it, and actually Charisma House, our publishing house, is releasing uh, five other books kind of related to the uh, pandemic. Only Michael Brown's book is out yet. There's one by doc Dr. Don Colbert called um, Pandemic Protection. Uh, there's one by uh, Bill Johnson. There's one by um, uh, Dr. Tim Clinton, which we just got the contract in last week. Uh, I need to memorize all the names. You know, they're they're in process, but it's our way to try to respond in a quick way to give people resources to respond to the pandemic, especially during a time that the supply chain is all messed up. But it's also given us an opportunity because I think that these are all very strong words for the body of Christ. And uh, people can actually pre-order them on our website, which is called shop.charismamag.com. They're all there. Uh, I've pre-ordered all of them. Uh, like I said, only Michael Brown's and mine are actually finished yet, but you know they'll be finished in a short time. So from the time I got the idea, and we were talking to these other authors about the same time, until the book was on Amazon, uh, was a month and a day, if I counted right on the calendar. And uh, we will be doing a press run, but it'll be a small press run. It's mainly through Amazon, mainly through Kindle, People can buy all that kind of stuff at our website, too. And, uh, you know, it's, we're scrambling. And we felt led. I felt like there was an open door. I'm doing what I can to try to get the word out. And I really appreciate 
uh, you giving me a platform to talk about it. Yeah, I just had a question about that. Do you see like a lot of people are thinking there's going to be a genuine renewal, revival, reformation that is being birthed out of this thing? So what are you seeing in a sense of we've seen up the attack that is happening on this nation. But many times in history, you also recognize on the other side that God used those things for good, brought us together in unity. People started to pray like Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn away from their wicked ways, then I shall hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. So are you seeing or feeling something? I mean, you have been watching trends in regard to Christianity for a long period of time and are you seeing something that god is up to something or doing something in the middle of this well god is always up to something uh, <laughs> you know even in bad times and yes uh, there are people who are seeing an awakening i started to talk about dave wilkerson and got off on a couple rabbit trails but um and he said there'd be a great third awakening now his was a little bit different because he gave it to mike evans in a private conversation at the embassy suites near Dallas, Fort Worth in 86, at, in the same setting, he said some things about PTL a year before that terrible scandal that actually came true. David Wilkerson mm. prophesied a lot of things. Uh, not all of them came true or at least haven't come true yet. Mike took ha some handwritten notes. It's the same kind of thing I've done many times when I've met with Christian leaders, you know, mainly to remind myself about it. Occasionally I'll write about something like that. He stuck it in his Bible. He, he started using another Bible and didn't even open that Bible for years. And when he did, he found these notes. So really, it's do you believe Mike Evans' word? And uh, there are people on the, on the Internet that are saying, oh, there's no record of this. Well, you know, if I had lunch with you uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and years later, somebody asked my son Cameron, you know, what did he say to Leif? My camera would say, I have no idea. However, uh, the, it was going around the internet. Uh, I, I, did, I wasn't able to really verify this, that a couple of his family members said, it. no, he never said it. Well, what they probably said was there was no proof of it. So I contacted Gary Wilkerson, his oldest son, who I have known for a number of years. I have his email address. I sent him what was online. Somebody had sent it to me. I told him what I knew. I told him I basically trust Mike Evans. I've known Mike Evans since the 70s. And uh, if you know Mike, you know, he's, uh, he's a great visionary. He did that Friends of Zion Museum, $50 million museum in Jerusalem. He's got a large ministry. But, you know, some uh, Mike Evans is unique. You know? um, and he, are, he and I are very good friends. I mean, in some ways, almost like brothers. And uh, I believe him. But Gary said this. He said he had never heard his father say that. But it certainly, he talked a little bit about how his father had heart for evangelism and he was like a weep, weeping prophet wanting people to come to Jesus. And he said it certainly sounded like something his father would say. And so, of course, I quote that in the book and I thought that's good enough for me. I mean, when you have a private conversation, but, you know, there are, there are other people saying there's going to be a great awakening. Now, we all want a great awakening. We do. And there's a tendency sometimes in Christian circles to do wishful thinking just because things are so bad. And if there'd be a great awakening, everybody would turn to God. But, you know, I, I go back to the late 60s. Who would have thought? You know, I, I grew up a Pentecostal. We would have never thought the Holy Spirit would be outpoured on Roman Catholics. But there are tens and tens of millions of Catholics, even to this day, that have been influenced by that. The they were the first ones to use the word charismatic because they didn't like being called Pentecostals because Pentecostals of the, of the day were very, very legalistic. The women could wear lipstick, you know, all that kind of stuff. I grew up in that. And uh, that's where the, the term came from. And then the Jesus movement. I mean, there were all these hippies on drugs and everything else. And all of a sudden you heard about them going to churches in Southern California and getting saved and being baptized in the, in the ocean, all that kind of stuff. We do see a few things happening. You know, I think that even Kanye West uh, coming to, to Christ like he has is an indication that something is happening. Okay. And uh, often uh, people will come to Christ during times of crisis. Uh, you know, I talk through all this in the book. 
I, I really want the Great Awakening to happen, but really it almost needs to happen and then you recognize it rather than talking about it. But with all the prayer, all the intercession, everything else, yes, something is happening. And I, I talk about a couple of scenarios that could happen. You know, Trump could lose and things are gonna get really bad, like I said before. Uh, Trump could win and it's just gonna be all out war uh, between the left and the right and good. You know, a lot of it's just between good and evil and Trump is just caught in the crosshairs. In fact, he said one time, you know, they're not after me, they're after you and I'm just in the way. He was saying this to conservative uh, Americans and somebody made a meme of that and sent it to me. I thought, man, that's true. And of course, he had apparently said that. He probably said that a little bit tongue in cheek. But, you know, even so, I think there's some truth in that. He, he, he represents, you know, the, the media loved Donald Trump when he was a New York playboy. They did. They never criticized his multiple marriages and whatever else. But boy, when he became a conservative and a Republican. And then when he started sticking up for Christians, I mean, just all hell broke loose. And it's like Governor Mike Huckabee told me, and I quoted him in uh, Guiding Donald Trump, any other president, really any other leader almost, would be in the fetal position over all the tax he's gotten. But, you know, he, he seems to thrive on it. How in the world he does it. You know, I talk about this when I talk about what is Donald Trump really like. People around him say he has ways to keep his equilibrium. He plays chess with Baron. He plays golf. This is how he tries to keep sane, I guess. And he, he has people <laughs> around him, you know, his, his family and close associates who love him, who are supportive. And so he's able to let the other stuff uh, run off his back. And I just really believe that, you know, he was the right time. Uh, in fact, I have a chapter called For Such a Time as This. And he was the right man at the right a lot like Winston Churchill was, you know, the Christians of his day did not like him at all because he started drinking brandy when he got up in the morning. Good Christian people don't drink brandy, certainly not in the morning. And uh, and he was never photographed without a cigar, never, or almost never. Uh, maybe there was one. But I mean, you look at his photos. He always had a cigar, even if it was unlit. And, uh, and of the day, in the day, Christians thought, well, this is just terrible. Yeah, God used him to save Britain and to save Western civilization. I really believe that. There are a lot of parallels between the two. And I, as I said, I go into it in a couple of the books. Could you just mention, uh, because I'm interested, tell me about some heroes or people that have influenced your life, either in history or today. I know Joy is one of them, but... Uh, <laughs> you. Well, you have to say your wife, of course. Yeah, of course. You know... Uh, <laughs> I was um, really influenced by some mentors when I was in my 20s. Uh, I was just coming of age. I was just starting charisma. I was trying to figure out what I was doing. And uh, Jamie Buckingham, the author, was one. But also, uh, I spent quite a, quite a bit of time with David Duplessis, uh, Lester Sumrall. Of course, they all, all three men have been in heaven for a long time. And they were men... Uh, that I got to meet with. I was in David Duplessis' home once. I, I traveled to the Philippines with Lester Summerall once. Um, but you can also be influenced by uh, mentors from afar. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pat Robertson has been that kind of mentor. And I'm so honored and privileged and humbled to be able to uh, release his autobiography, which is called I Walked with the Living God. Mm -hmm. It was going to come out I think this week, the COVID-19 thing moved it. It's either going to come out in June or July. And, uh, you know, he's a very humble man. God has used him mightily. He's just an example. But then I've always been a big admirer of Winston Churchill. Uh, I've read several books about him, seen several movies. Uh, I've just been fascinated. You know, he was raised as a Christian. Uh, he had a sense of destiny about him. I admire Patton. You know, I write about him in the books. You know, he wasn't exactly a nice guy. Um, I've, I've read lots of biographies. I love biographies. I've read biographies of, of lots of presidents, Washington, Lincoln, of course, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, I just love biographies. I read every biography written of Henry Luce. He's the one that started Time Magazine. Well, I'm in the magazine business. Now, Henry Luce was the son of missionaries. They were missionaries to China. And uh, I don't know that he was really godly, but he was he was he was raised in it. He he had a little bit of uh, of uh, Jesus in him, and just how he approached 
life and approach the world. So, uh, you know, I could go on and on, but, you know, we can learn from the lives of others. And um, uh, we've, I've published several biographies and fortunately in Christian circles, biographies don't sell that well, but we did Derek Prince's uh, biography. I, I had the privilege of knowing him fairly well. Uh, I had so much respect for him that I actually visited his grave in Jerusalem one time. And, uh, and it was a very good biography. It was just a pity that it didn't sell better because he had, he had such an influence on so many, especially in what we now call the charismatic movement. <laughs> but if you could do us a favor, Steve, to pray, just to pray a blessing, because I know so many people are in the middle of storms in life and there's so much uncertainties. And just if you wouldn't mind just releasing a blessing over the listeners, as well as we're going to make sure you just mention on social media how they can get hold of you and connect with you. And we're going to also try to get this on uh, your podcast so that we can even uh, just spread this interview and this message. But I'm also very much committed to making sure that these books is getting out into the hands of people so that people can make wise choices, especially in the middle of everything that's going on. Because I trust your voice and trust your friendship. And I know that... Uh, that you're going to add tremendous value to the people that I, I, I'm in relationship with. We, you know, I, we didn't really have an opportunity to talk about your influence on me, but, you know, to hear your story and how God has healed you and your odyssey of, uh, and, and the miracles that God has done in Pakistan and other places. I mean, it's just, in a way, you're one of my heroes, even though you're younger than I am. And I just really uh, <laughs> appreciate the friendship at a very, very deep level. Uh, in terms of connecting with me, uh, the main website is stevestrangbooks.com. It's my name. There are no spaces, just the three words, Steve Strang. There is no E on the end of Strang. And then books.com. Um, they can get all my books there. Uh, people can contact me uh, by writing info at charismamedia.com. And my podcast, which is in all the platforms, but mainly the Charisma Podcast Network, is The Strang Report. That's my name. Isn't that a creative name? The Strang Report. And uh, I, have, I put out a podcast every single day and a couple of them. In fact, I, did, I had one podcast. I did it with Dennis Balcom. I write about this in the book. He's a missionary to China. Uh, he's an American who's been in Hong Kong for 50 years. The only time I ever went into China was with him. And the only time I've eat, eaten a snake was at a Chinese restaurant there, and <laughs> they picked out the cobra, kind of like I guess you'd get a lobster at some seafood restaurants. So I know they eat exotic animals, you know, when all this came out about the wet markets and stuff. But Dennis, uh, Dennis is just a magnificent man of God, and I interviewed him uh, about what was happening with the church uh, what was really going on in China, you know, he was saying that the Chinese government was lying, the, the deaths and so forth are a lot worse than people said, but it also was an opportunity, and people are flocking to churches, so it was an opportunity for the gospel. I had over, uh, I think I had 150,000 downloads of that, uh, and then later I did one called Prayers and Prophecies, where I talk about what I did uh, just now about, uh, mainly about Sean Bolts, and, um, you know, Fox News, website actually did a story about Sean Bolts and they were, you know, uh, shocking, but they were actually pretty even handed with it. Also talking about Chuck Pierce, that one had over 300,000 downloads. I've never had anything like it. Yeah. Now, of course, this podcast will probably take off too. I hope it does, but people can connect with me that yeah. way. And of course, uh, we've got lots of websites, Charisma News, charismamag.com, you know, too many to mention, but people can get hold of me. And uh, I read and, and reply to every email I get from uh, readers, info at charismamedia.com. Our company's called Charisma Media, one word, no spaces. And so if you want me to pray, I'm glad to. That's awesome. And let me just challenge anyone, if you can beat Steve in pull-ups, uh, it would be a creative miracle if you beat Steve in pull-ups <laughs> and push-ups. Go ahead and pray. Well, I kind of <laughs> slacked today. I only did 50 push-ups this morning when I worked out. So, <laughs> But when you get to be my age, Leif, you have to <laughs> – it's better to wear out than rust out. So <laughs> that's why I stay active. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, just pray a blessing over Steve. <laughs> okay. 
Well, Father God, I just thank you for life and his ministry for all those who are listening. Lord, I just thank you for the way that you've blessed him and you've opened doors for him around the world. And Lord, I just pray a blessing on all those who are listening. I know a lot of people will listen to this long after the 2020 election's over. The podcast will stick around for a long time. And Lord, if it's not the COVID-19 pandemic, it's always something. Uh, You know, something personal with the family, with the job, um, attacks of the enemy. The the enemy wants to attack us. Uh, You know, even the strongest Christians are weak in certain areas. And Lord, we need... We need your protection from the attacks of the enemy. We also need wisdom on what to do. We need boldness to stand up. We need uh, energy and fire and fervor and passion to be able to proclaim you in this, this culture where it's not popular to name the name of Jesus. And, and in the past, maybe it wasn't either, but at least it was a facade of Christianity and a adherence to Judeo-Christian values. And Lord, we long for that awakening that we talked about. We long for revival, first of all, in our own lives, in our family, in our community, but also our nation. Lord, could you use this terrible, terrible pandemic uh, to just jolt this nation uh, into seeing their need of Jesus and returning to uh, Christian values and Lord, you've raised up America to be a light to the world, and we didn't uh, really talk about that, but there have been times in American history that have been pivotal, and you've used America, even if it's just the Christians, to spread the gospel around the world, and, and America has kept a lot of bad guys in check, and you know, Nazism would have likely taken over if it hadn't been for America, and there's lots of examples, and now the, the big challenge is China and everything that's happening and and the the gl- drift toward globalism, things we didn't talk about, but I go into my book. And uh, Lord, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just uh, saying how much we need you. We need you. We need you in our own lives, in our country. So Lord, I just pray for the listeners. I pray a blessing. I just pray a blessing on life and his ministry in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, my friend. And I'm excited uh, that we're going to get together, I think it's September next time. I think so. I look forward to seeing you. 